We're going to continue this morning in just um, kind of a little bit of unplanned, but I feel like the Lord uh, planned it this way. Uh, We began talking at the beginning of the year about evangelism, had our friend Phil Weissenden and uh, with us, and I've just kind of continued that. Probably we'll do it uh, uh, next Sunday as well, an aspect on uh, evangelism, outreach, sharing the gospel, just as a good reminder, and if nothing else, it's been a good reminder for me. It's motivated me, and uh, uh, last week, I encourage you to, to make some intentional, uh, maybe, conversations or whatever, and uh, there was a few days I thought, oh my goodness, my week just kind of getting ahead of me. I need to, need to go sit in the mall at one of those chairs and try to engage somebody, but uh, I've been uh, engaging uh, the girl who cuts my hair. She's a Jehovah's Witness, so every time we've, we talk... I just kind of just move the conversation a little bit now. So I think she's uh, suspecting on why I know so much about Jehovah's Witnesses uh, because I've taught courses on it. But at the same time is just uh, so when she cut my hair this week, I thought I just need to push it up a little bit and kind of just engage and where she doesn't feel like I'm setting her up a little bit. But uh, uh, so uh, I'll count that. But I want to do more, and I hope you want to do more, is have intentional conversations where uh, whether you're dropping seed or you're watering on somebody's seed, you might be culting up, cultivating some ground that has been hardened. But all along the way, and you may be blessed to have what uh, comes along and has a harvest where that person is just ready to receive Christ. But all along the way, we're part of God's process of being committed to the Great Commission. That's what we need to be reminded of. It isn't that we're trying to nail down some uh, sales technique and walk people through an outline and get them to make, you know, kind of a decision like, are you going to buy the vacuum or not? Come on, we need to know right now. You know, nobody likes high pressure, but when the Spirit of God, as we learned last week, when we looked at Philip, when the Holy Spirit is involved uh, in this process, it makes our job so much easier because remember what did Philip do? It says there, he said, and he opened his mouth. And sometimes that's just the best place to start. He just, you just open your mouth and let the Spirit of God do what he's going to do. But you've got to be available and be willing to be available. And you've heard the uh, statements, kind of cliche, but God is not interested in your ability, but your availability. And so just be available to the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, use me wherever I'm at in conversations, whether it's, uh, you know, buying coffee at Wawa or Starbucks or wherever it is you are or um, conversations in the workplace, then you certainly want to be wise and use appropriate time. Uh, I'm always conscious of, uh, you know, like um, some of you know um, uh, Eric, who uh, uh, I want to say Eric Geiger, but Eric Geiger's an author. Eric Grenier, yes, thanks. Eric Geiger is an author uh, that I read, but uh, Eric Grenier, uh, I've told you this many times, is uh, when I get together for lunch with him, he began to do something, and I try to do it as as well, is when the waitress comes over and takes your order, and and, uh, he just says, he said, said, hey, in a minute, we're getting ready to pray for our food. Is there anything we can pray for you about? And invariably, it's it's every time I've been with them, and then I've tried to start doing that, they're always like, yeah, that'd be great. And I remember we prayed for a husband's job. And then if they say, well, no, I think only one person I remember uh, said, um, and I'm trying to remember whether I was with him or was me, I think it was with him because he 
showed me. Uh, they said, well, no, no, no. And he just said, well, how about bigger tips? And they were like, well, yeah, you can pray for that. So again, you don't have to come in there with a large print Thompson chain, King James Bible and, and take, they're on, they're working. Hello? They're working. They, they got other tables beside you and they don't need to, you know, be tied up, but there's still a way you can throw some salt into a, a conversation, and uh, and uh, we're going to we're working on some invite cards. You know how we do invite cards for Christmas. We're making some you can use year round, so you just have those with you. And if you're talking with somebody, and say, "Well, here, here's where I go to church, and the website's on there." And if you're having trouble sleeping, listen to one of our pastor's sermons, and he has he has a, a ministry to insomniacs, and uh, he can help you do that. But it's just a way for you to have something and to be more intentional and engaging in conversation. I think the Lord will bless that, don't you? All right, so we're going to talk this morning. Uh, I spent 20 minutes trying to come up with a catchy title, and I know this isn't real catchy, but it's the best I could do, uh, in Matthew 4.23. And it was really just one verse that just gives us some, just four principles this morning um, of what I call Jesus' model for ministry. You can say Jesus' pattern for reaching out or, you know, all sorts of things or four ways or four keys, but we just keep it simple. Jesus' model for ministry in verse 24, 23. Let's read that. I think it's going to be on the screen. And I'm going to use the NIV this morning, the NIV version. So uh, you may have a different version, but uh, we'll all get to the same spot. And uh, so let's read verse 23, and you can just read it uh, silently. I'm going to read it out loud. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your word this morning that you would bless your word. We thank you that, Lord, we can be here today in freedom of this country uh, to gather together without fear of uh, persecution. We know most of our brothers and sisters around the world that are Christians do not have this luxury that we have. And we remember our brothers and sisters around the world that are having to gather in secret and hiding and fear of losing jobs and having their children taken. And Lord, just in the past two weeks, a, a mega church in China was, 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 uh, was, uh, was destroyed by the government. Uh, so Lord, persecution is real. And, uh, but we thank you for the, pers- for the persecution, God, that even may come in our own country that I know will define what true, who the true believers are. God, we don't uh, naturally want persecution, but God, persecution has a purifying effect. And uh, so, Lord, uh, may we be ready uh, if that and when that happens to us in our own life in this country. But until then, we thank you for these freedoms that we're gathered here today uh, and enjoy. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, God, in your sight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you know, there is a, a ton of books that come out all the time uh, geared for church leaders and pastors on effective methodologies and growing a church. Uh, um, you can go to conferences, and they, they focus a lot on techniques and methods. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, because I think uh, you can always be a learner. You know, I always encourage you, uh, always be willing to learn. Uh, and uh, even coming to church, be just ready to take a note, write us something down that God may prompt you, but just be intentional in saying, I want to learn. Even if I'm not sure I'm going to agree with this person or whatever, I was at a, a pastor's conference uh, Friday and Saturday, yesterday, 
And, uh, and there was a couple of sessions and people that spoke that my inclination, you know, I just, I knew enough about them and their ministry. I thought, ah, you know, I don't know. I'm just not into what they're doing. But, you know, God always has a way of humbling you, doesn't he? And I, listened, I came home and I told my wife, I said, you're not going to believe who I really liked. I won't say his name. Uh, but, uh, but I said, I really liked him. And, and a part of it is, and maybe hopefully you're like this, that when you can, you can get a sense of a person's heart, right? That's why small groups will be really, are, and are vital, because staring in the back of people's heads, uh, you know, you, you, you know, you can only go so far, right? But when you are engaging with five, ten people in a small group, and you're hearing their heart, and, and they're, you're being transparent, that just has a way of bonding uh, you to each other. And that's why we believe that this is the will of the Lord for this church as we move forward. We've got to do this connecting together and not as some gimmick or technique, but just because it's a biblical thing to be, to build relationships. With one another. That's how he has designed and built his church. But you can go to conferences and books and they all have some technique. But I think the best way to learn is to find out what was Jesus's method? What was Jesus's model? And uh, certainly there's a lot that we can learn of how Jesus did it and just that simplicity. And that's what we want to look at this morning is just that simplicity of how Jesus did ministry. And in America, we've got a funny way. We, we, you know, we define success by numbers and money, and, and, and that's how we look at success. But the Bible tells us that real success is defined by what God says is successful. Let me just, you don't have to turn to it. Maybe read to you something that Jesus said in Luke 6. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. That man uh, or woman or person is building a house and they've dug down deep and they've laid a foundation on rock. And when the flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built on the rock. And then he goes on to say about the person who built their house on sand, that when the storm came, it wiped it out. We want to build on the rock. And who's our rock? (laughs) Jesus is our rock. We want to build on a strong foundation. So while it's good to listen and, and learn from a lot of different things, and I have no problem with people that, in fact, even yesterday, we're talking about different things you learn from Apple and corporations. Listen, all truth is God's truth. Let that sink in a little bit. If it's true, whether it comes through a business model or it comes through somebody, if it's true, guess where it came from? It came God, because God is the source of truth. Y'all agree with that? Listen, if y'all are going to be quiet, I will talk longer this morning. You know that. So nods and amens, mo, you know, get me. So, all right, there you go. See, all right, it'll be a 10-minute sermon if you do it like that. So, oh, now you're going to start running around the church and acting crazy. But look, I want you this morning in our time together, just notice with me four principles, really just from verse 23. It's all right there. And uh, if, you're, if you uh, mark in your Bible, you may want to just underline or mark a word or a phrase and put this word out here. These aren't necessarily original with me. They're just observations that will help us say, what, how can we learn an, a, a picture uh, from Jesus's ministry and life that we can be reminded of as we are uh, as we are intentional about reaching our community for the gospel, right? We want to learn and what, hear what Jesus uh, and how he did it, and, some, and this gives us a little snapshot of some things that we can learn. Four things. Number one, 
is that Jesus was missional. Now, let me kind of unpack that a little bit. It, it doesn't mean, well, he, he, he believed in world missions. That's immediately when we think about missional. Well, uh, he certainly did. <laughs> but missional, let me define it this way. Uh, it, it speaks about when we have in our mindset that we are a people that have been birthed by God to be sent. We are, our mentality is, is that we are a sent people. So let me just read a few things that will help define this, and then we'll uh, go back and, and see how this uh, fitted into Jesus's ministry. Missional speaks of the church as a sent people. We are a sent people with a mission because the head of our church was a sent person who had a mission from the Father, right? Right? For God so loved the world, he sent, he gave Jesus, right? So Jesus is a sent person with a mission, so it would make sense that his church that he died for should be a people that are missional, who are sent, or in our mindset, we are, we are designed to be people who go, as he said, to go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, God is a sending God. God is missional. He's a sending God. Missional means that that we are partners with his mission um, uh, of sending Christ of the gospel into a lost world. That's what he has done. He has given Christ to a lost world. He sent Christ, so we who are his disciples and followers should have that same mindset that we are a sent people. So whatever we do primarily should have a missional component rather than just say, hey, let's gather everybody here and have a little club, lock the doors for a couple hours and have our own little club meeting. That's not a biblical model at all. We are designed to come to the church to be um, empowered and, and trained to go out and do the work of the ministry. That's what my Bible says, right? Right? And, that, and if you're not sure, it's there. So we model that missional component of being sent. Look at verse 23, uh, and it says that Jesus went throughout Galilee. That word went. Jesus went. He went out. He, he was missional when he went out, and he went to Galilee. Now, Galilee wasn't just uh, Kathleen uh, and a post office. I mean, Galilee, it was three million people in the region of Galilee. Big place, a lot of people. There's 204 cities in the region of Galilee, 15,000 average population of each of those cities, roughly 3 million. If Jesus went to two towns a day for three months to cover the area, um, then uh, it would be, you know, maybe a 30 to 60 mile uh, spread uh, of every day, you know, uh, of going to these towns, averaging 30 miles and and uh, traveling throughout the region of Galilee, a big place. But it says that Jesus went. Uh, don't get don't get focused on geography. Just hear that Jesus was missional. He his ministry was to go and to go out. And of course, that mission was what he gave us as disciples in Acts one eight when he said when he told those disciples to wait on the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, "You will be not. I hope you will be." He said, "You will be 
my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem was kind of like, you're going to be witnesses in your hometown, your neighborhood. Samaria, that's like we would think maybe of a state. And Samaria, that would be beyond that region. And then the whole world. In other words, as it expands from where you are, this ministry, this word, this mission is going to go beyond because of your obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And so, we, you know, we, we just for simplicity, we think of that again as evangelism. Uh, and so evangelism, don't get pigeonholed in thinking that evangelism is just one aspect of going to somebody's door or handing a track or walking them through the Romans road or the four spiritual laws or whatever those different models are. Uh, evangelism is at very heart is a commitment to say that wherever, where I'm at, my job, my life, I am a sent person. I am a man. I am a woman on a mission. Remember the Blues Brothers when they knocked on the door and the guy said, what do you want? And they said, what? We're on a mission. Now, some of you just got distracted because we're on a mission from God, people. Do you realize that? This is just huddle time on Sunday mornings. This is encouragement time on Sunday mornings. Our real mission and real purpose is what's outside of these doors. You may have gone to a church, a couple of churches I pastored, we had this, and uh, when you left the uh, parking lot or the campus, there was a sign uh, outside right when you left that uh, when only people seeing it, leaving the campus of the church would see, and it said, you are now entering the mission field. That was a reminder. Now, some churches got their own mission field inside the church, but we didn't put that sign up, Brett, uh, caused trouble. But anyway, but when you leave the church, you're out there entering into the mission field. The mission field isn't, oh, we support the DR, the Dominican, you know, the Ministry of Cups and the, the Hanley's Three Trees. Oh, yeah, we, we said, no, you are. By being a missional person, you are a missionary. This world is not our home. We are, the Bible speaks of us being foreigners and pilgrims and uh, and strangers in the land. And so we are ambassadors of the king. We're on a mission, and we are missional. And Jesus reminds us of that when it says that as he began his ministry. Now, remember what went ahead of that in Matthew 4 uh, remember the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, that's where he encountered Satan and was in the wilderness for 40 days and, and had that spiritual battle. And, and, and all of Matthew from beginning to end is a demonstration of the authority of Christ. And we see different ways that Matthew does that. So when it says that Jesus went out, he's going out now based upon this is demonstration of his authority. Well, that's why he said, all authority has been given to me. So now I give you that authority and that command to go into all the world. And so Jesus was missional. I like the story that I came across, and it says uh, of a guy who prayed. He prayed this prayer every morning. This is what he prayed. Lord, if you want me to be a witness to someone today, please give me a sign to show me who it is. Now, that's not a bad prayer, right? So one day he found himself on a bus with a big, burly, muscular man that sat next to him. The bus was nearly empty, but this guy sat next to our praying friend, and this timid Christian anxiously waited for his stop so he could get off the bus. Man of faith and power, right? Before he, um, be, but before he could get off the bus, 
uh, and uh, he, he was very nervous about this man sitting next to him, the big guy burst into tears and began to weep. That made me more scared. And so this, this Christian prayed, cry, or, or this burly man cried out with a loud voice, and he said this. He said, I need to be saved. I am a lost sinner, and I need the Lord. Won't somebody, won't somebody tell me how to be saved? And he turned to the Christian sitting next to him. He didn't know he was a Christian and pleaded, can you show me how to be saved? And that believer immediately bowed his head and prayed, Lord, is this a sign? You see, God is a rescuing God. God's mission given to Jesus, and we are extension. Remember, to those, the Bible says, Paul said, those of us who have been reconciled now have the ministry of what? Reconciliation. That's the gospel of reconciling the God, our Heavenly Father, that we were estranged, we were enemies by nature, sinners. But the Bible uses words like we were objects of God's wrath. But because of the mercy and grace of Jesus, peace has been made through the blood of the cross. And God sent his son to earth to preach, to die, to be resurrected um, for the very purpose of saving men and women from their sin. And so we have that same mission. The son, of him, the son Christ, came to seek and to save that which was lost. He was missional. But also notice something Else, it's not the next point, it's still part of this missional aspect, is that Jesus, part of this being missional, uh, he didn't really have to go far. It says that he went and, uh, and taught in their synagogues. Their synagogues, differentiating between uh, who he was and his mission and the mission and the purpose of his Jewish brethren. He went to their synagogues. means that he went to where the people were. Part of being missional is knowing where the people are. That's where the people were gathered. They were, uh, and the Bible speaks about how, remember when he sent out his disciples and he sent them out kind of on weekend maneuvers and he told them, don't go to the Samaritans and go, don't go to the Gentiles, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus is first and primary. John 1 says he came to his own and his own what? His own people did what? They did not receive him, but Jesus first came to the house of Israel, and so he went into the synagogues to minister. As uh, another place in Jesus' ministry in Luke, you remember when he went into the synagogue and he opened that scroll and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and uh, they, had a, they had a Pentecostal revival right there. No, they didn't like what he said. In fact, they, they wanted to throw him off a cliff and kill him. But he went into the synagogues because that's where the people he, were, he was going to minister to while he was in Galilee. And the synagogue, I won't get into that. You can look that up. But that was the gathering place that Jews developed in between after the temple was destroyed. And it was a place they would meet and, and uh, read the law and study the law and, and, um, and have uh, some structure in their religious life. Do we need to go to the synagogues? No, I'm not saying that. But we need to go where people are. And we need to be thinking and creative in where people are. Um, again, if we're just kind of huddled into our own mentality, uh, I thought about that movie. Remember the movie? This is movie day, so you're getting reviews on movies day. This is the second one I'm going to mention. Remember the movie? And a lot of guys watched this. A lot of the ladies probably didn't like it. But maybe because it had Kevin Costner, they probably watched it. But anyway, Field of Dreams. Remember that movie? 
And you remember, I think it was Shoeless Joe Jackson out in the field, and he the whispers said, build it and they will come. Build it and they will come. Remember that? And he built that, that, I hadn't seen it in a long time, built that baseball stadium out in the middle of his farm field or whatever and had all these uh, players who were dead and gone, which uh, probably isn't a really good Christian message there, uh, be talking to dead spirits in baseball uniforms. <laughs> but either way, I, what I, all I want you to remember is what he said. He said, build it and they will come. Listen, that's not a model for the church. Build it and they will come. Jesus came and went. He didn't come and said, all right, boys, we're going we're gonna to build a fortress. We're going to build a great cathedral, and we're just going to build this edifice, and all the people will come from all over to what we've built. That isn't what he did. He came and he went out, and he went to where the people were, and we need to do the same. Third is, or secondly, I'm sorry, second just scared the media folks. Secondly, uh, is notice Jesus had a method. Jesus had a method, okay? Jesus was missional, but Jesus had a method. Uh, ESV just says he was, uh, that he was proclaiming uh, the good news of the kingdom. The NIV uses the word teaching and preaching, uses those two words, uh, I believe. But either way, what was he doing? What was his method was that he was speaking the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, we can't get into all detail about that, but here, here's the deal, is that the message of the gospel is a spoken message. God is creative. Do you not think God is creative? How many gazillion insects are there and animals and species? And if you don't think God is a creative God, just look at nature and what he's done. He told, you know, I mean, he told, uh, 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 Jesus said not to worry because of all the splendor of creation. God takes care of all these things. So God has a creative, uh, one the, and the most creative ability. So he could have written John 3.16 up in the sky, couldn't he? He could have just had that show up in the clouds every morning. He could have, <laughs> he could have just, uh, you know, when, when somebody cracked open an egg from the eating breakfast, he could have had a little track that he had had in that egg, you know. He didn't need us, right? Does he need you? He does not need me. Does he need you, Sherry? No. He doesn't need us, but he chose to work through broken and fallen men and women, objects of his grace, uh, evidences of his tremendous work of the gospel in their lives to be lights shining in the midst of darkness. He chose us for this mission. He chose us for this purpose, but part of this is we've got to to communicate this message. So uh, it says, and when we think about Jesus preaching and teaching, it didn't mean he carried a little podium around with him. It just means he communicated the message. Proclaim, he's announcing. Uh, Teaching uh, from the Greek means to explain the message. Proclaim means announcing the message. He had a method And this goes to the third point, is he had a message. Ties in with the third point, is Jesus not only had a method, but he had a message. We have a message. We have a message. It's called the gospel. Go on to all the world. Proclaim the gospel. Not to go into all the world and tell them to have a good marriage and how to be out of debt. Are those good things? Yeah. Absolutely. And hopefully as you come in alignment with principles of the word, those things you understand and and work those principles out. But our primary purpose is we are to be people with a message. But you can't be, you can't go out, you can't 
be missional. You can't have a method if you don't understand or know what the message is. And that's where sometimes we get tongue-tied. We get a little um, fearful of talking to people about, you know, because they tell you, don't talk about religion and politics, right? Well, we're not talking about politics, but to engage. That's why when we say, Holy Spirit, create the scenario, create the situation, create these divine appointments where the conversation that as I'm speaking, as I'm talking, as I'm engaging this person, it, I, I, just, I, just, I just know you're into this. I know you're d- working me, and I'm not fearful. I'm not nervous. I'm not trying to remember, you know, all these verses. I'm not trying to remember this outline. Oh, no, I got point A uh, down here, and I got point, you know, and there's sometimes you go to, a, anybody ever been to an evangelism training where it really just put an emphasis upon memorizing, 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 and you came out, and you just felt like you just... You, if you're like me, I, you know, I, I wish I had a better memory. The message is what we are saying to this world and this community about who God is. And if we say one thing, but we live and act and vote in a, in a way that's inconsistent, let me tell you something. They're not interested. They're not interested. And let's quit kidding ourselves and thinking they will be. All right, you can turn it back on now. We need to be gospel people. What is the gospel? The gospel message is about God. It's about God. That's where it begins, that we are, we are out of relationship with God. And it's a message about sin. Sin, we are sinners by nature. Sin has caused a separation between us and our creator. The gospel is about Christ. God sent Jesus to be the atonement for our sin, to, to, to put us in right relationship to our creator. And the gospel is a message about faith and trust, that we receive that message and we receive what Jesus has done on my behalf. We, we repent or turn from our sins and, and trust Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's, that's the gospel. I mean, yeah, we can talk about each one of those points for an hour or two or three or four, but that's the gospel. It's about God. It's about our sin. It's about the Redeemer who came to take away our sin if I would trust him as my Lord and Savior. Jesus had a message, and it says that he preached, he taught the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the fourth, the fourth observation here in Jesus' this is one verse and giving us some helps regarding understanding how our model of ministry should reflect these things is that Jesus showed mercy. You know, you could have, you can be missional, you can be, uh, you know, you can have right methods and creativity. Man, your message could just be precise theologically, have a great message. But my friend, if we're not a merciful and compassionate people, we're failing at being reflective of Jesus' ministry. You say, well, where do you, where do you see that? What did Jesus do? Look at verse, also there in verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, and what? Healing every disease and sickness among the people. Healing ministry in Jesus' life and ministry, like the apostles, was to authenticate the authority they were walking in. That's one, that's, a, that's one part of that when they heal, when they raise people from the dead and they heal people of sicknesses and disease, it demonstrated 
visually and, and this miracle that these, like, like Nicodemus said in John 3, when he came to Jesus at night, he said, uh, I know you're a man sent from God because nobody could do these works unless they were sent by God. So they were to demonstrate the power of God and authenticate the messenger, in this case, Jesus, and later the apostles. But that's where a lot of Christians just kind of chop it off and stop there. I think there's something else that we've got to realize is that Jesus's demonstration of mercy showed Jesus's compassion for the brokenness and the hurting people affected by sin in this world. And I think that's a message that as a church, we've got to make sure is embedded in what we do. Grace Church, it should be embedded. And I'm not talking about praying for the sick. We should do that. That's biblical. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about as a church that part of us demonstrating and showing mercy is that we are, community, we are a community of people that believe in the healing power of God for all aspects of a person's life. Healing of past scars and past sins and ministering mercy to the abused and, and, and uh, the fatherless and widows and widowers, the alcoholic, the drug addict, uh, those uh, addicted in sexual sins, those suffering in, with mental illness. The list goes on and on. They all need the mercy of God. And if we are not a compassionate, welcoming congregation, then we're failing at following the ministry pattern, I believe, that Jesus can bless. Do you, do you agree with that, or are you all just ready to go home? Well, don't answer that. I know you're ready to go home. We're almost done. Remember what James said in James 2? What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, doesn't show mercy, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? Finish it. Is dead. Is dead. Be terrible for us to be running all cylinders as a church, theologically, methodology, all these things, but if you really need help, don't go to Grace Church. They're really organized. Boy, they got small groups for every conceivable thing. You love pets? We got a small group for that. You're lactose intolerant? We got a small group for that. I mean, you know, we just got it all. But it won't really help you. If you got a real need, they're nice people, but they, they're, they just, that'd be a terrible thing, wouldn't it? be a terrible thing. And people need, I, I tell this people, and they say, yeah, I'm going to come visit your church. I say, well, we got one thing. If you're a perfect person, you won't fit in. Because we are a people of brokenness, hurts, but we got one thing in common. We all receive the love and compassion of Jesus. And that's how we, that's how we, that's how we roll. That's how we operate. So if you're a perfect person looking for a perfect people, man, you probably ought to go, go somewhere else because we're, we're not perfect. We're broken. We're struggling. We're transparent. But we bask and drink freely at the fountain of the healing waters of Jesus. So if you want to be part of that kind of thing, you'll fit in really well.
And your pastor leads, leads the brokenness. Yeah? Aren't you glad that that's kind of our, in our atmosphere here? It is for me. Two things happen. Show verse 24 and 25. What were the results? It says, as Jesus was, and these are my words, missional, and he went to the synagogues and gospel message and mercy. It says, news about him spread. You think that kind of church, news will spread? They're functioning in those type of principles. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. No Twitter, no Facebook, no internet, no cell phones. But word got out that this man can change your life. Those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And then it says what? Large crowds... From Galilee, that's where he had been spending all his time here ministering. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan did what? Think there's something we can learn in these, that one verse? And I just share that as a reminder that as we move forward with things this, this year and we continue to be developed as a church that God would have us to be as a church, these are just reminders when we go back and say, why are we doing what we're doing and what is the, the priority of what we're doing? It isn't to grow Grace Church. It isn't to grow Grace Church. It's to be effective for the kingdom of God and to be blessed and be, care, be called successful the way that Jesus defines success. Let me close just with one last thing that I think maybe illustrates a little bit of this. Um, Rosaria Butterfield wrote a book um, called Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. You can see her testimony on YouTube, and after I read this, you'll probably be interested. But a tremendous and powerful testimony of God's grace. But let me just read a little brief something here from her book, um, just by background. Rosaria Butterfield was a, uh, at the time of her uh, conversion, was 36. Um, it's probably been maybe 15, 20 years ago. But at the time, she was a tenured professor in the Center for Women's Study at Syracuse University. Rosaria and her lesbian partner were members of a Unitarian Universalist church where Rosaria was the coordinator of what is called the Welcoming Committee which is the gay and lesbian advocacy group. Up to this point in her life, Rosaria said that the only Christians she knew were, quote, intellectually impaired. I think I've met some of those. They were the kind of people who sent me hate mail, she says, or people who carried signs at gay pride marches that read, God hates fags. But her negative image of Christians would radically change when she met a local pastor named Ken and his wife, Floyd. Now, just a little background. She had written an article for their local paper where she was uh, critiquing promise keepers. 
and of course, from her political bent at the time, uh, uh, you know, you could probably figure out uh, her her opinion and thoughts of those things. And of course, uh, she also writes about how some very prominent Christian leaders sometimes make statements that cause you to cringe, right? Well, she uh, wrote this article in the paper, and uh, she got a lot of hate mail. She got a lot of mail that came back, and uh, but yet she got a letter from this pastor, Ken, uh, that was very gracious and very much wanting to say, well, have you considered this? And again, I'm not getting the details of what she wrote. And she said that that just kind of stayed on her desk for a while, and uh, he had made an offer to meet with her, you know, at a restaurant or somewhere, and he'd love to have her engage and, you know, and maybe clarify some things about Christianity or whatever it was. And she just kind of didn't throw it away, just left it on the desk and just kept kind of, it just kind of kept annoying her a little bit. And long story short, she reached out and uh, they made contact. And instead of going to meeting at the restaurant, uh, she uh, knew where his house was because she lived near his area and jogged by it. And so, well, how about I'll just meet you and your wife at your house, okay? And again, she's, she's coming in, you know, as a Daniel into a lion's. She's not interested in there. But she thought, this guy seems like a nice guy and I want to be, you know, engaging as a teacher. And so I'll hear his viewpoint. So this is where I pick up. Uh, with her writing about coming and meeting with him and their and his wife, she says, "I remember being conscious of my butch haircut and the gay and pro choice bumper stickers on my car. I remember awkwardly greeting my host, the pastor and his wife, at the door and pulling out my bag uh, my bag with two gifts, a bottle of good red wine and a box of strong tea." I wanted to get to know these people, but not at the expense of compromising my moral standards here. My lesbian identity and culture and its values mattered a lot to me. I came to my culture and its values through life experience, but also through much research and deep thinking. I liked Ken and Floyd immediately because they seemed sensitive to that. During our, our meal, I remember holding my breath and waiting to be punched in the stomach with something grossly offensive. I believed at this time that God was dead, and if, the, and if he ever was alive, the fact of poverty, violence, racism, sexism, homophobia, and war was proof that he didn't care about his creation. I believed that religion was, as Karl Marx wrote, the opiate or the drug of the masses. But Ken's God, this pastor, Ken's God seemed alive, three-dimensional and wise, if firm. And Ken and his wife were anything but intellectually impaired. Ken and Floyd did something at the meal that has a long Christian history. They invited the stranger in, not to scapegoat me, but to listen and to learn and to dialogue. We didn't debate worldview. They were willing to walk the long journey to me in Christian compassion. And during the meal... They didn't even share the gospel with me. After our meal, they didn't even invite me to church. Because of these glaring omissions to the Christian script, as I had come to know it, when the evening ended and Pastor Ken said he wanted to stay in touch, I knew that it was truly safe to accept his open hand of invitation. And since this beginning, the journey on which the Lord has taken me has been a great adventure. And this simple meal in a pastor's home was the first leg of this journey. 
Before I ever stepped foot in a church, I spent two years meeting with Ken and Floyd and on and off studying, quote-unquote, Scripture and my heart. Ken, the pastor, knew at this time that I couldn't come to church. It would have been too threatening, too weird, too much. Now listen to this. So Ken was willing to bring the church to me. I hope you read more about her story. Rosaria Butterfield, okay? You need to hear more of her story. But what I want you to hear is we've got to be people willing to be missional, to have a method. Make sure we know the message, all wrapped up in the wonderful mercy and grace of God. Is the process sometimes slow? Yeah. God's not in a hurry. But this is a great example, especially with a subject and issue kind of maybe uncomfortable to many here. Most of us, I would assume. But God can use, if we are faithful, prayerful, spirit-led, he's the one that does He's the one that does the saving. He's the one that does the changing. We just have to be available, dependent on him, and say, Father, use me. Use me where I'm at. Amen? Let's stand to our feet as we close this morning.